indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increase to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a frag fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. What is the most beautiful place you ever visit? Think for a while. Please, brother, could you project the picture? In 2010, I had the privilege to visit the Taj Mahal, a mausoleum in Agra, India. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It was named in 2007 one of the seven wonders of the modern world. The work was done between 1632 and 1653 with a strength of 20,000 men. It is a sumptuous white marble monument in that imperial Shah Jahan had built in memory of his favorite wife, Aruna Banu. She died after giving birth to her 14th child. Wow. And he decided to build on her grave by the river Yamanu. What strikes me is that one of the most beautiful works of art in history is an expression of a man's deepest pain and sorrow. This shows us that contentment is not always a consequence of the beauty or comfort where we are. We can be in the most beautiful and glorious place with a discontent heart. And we can be in a place devoid of beauty with a heart overflowing with joy. To reflect on these truths, let us look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. You can remove the, the picture, please. When we read this precious letter, we find that contentment is an extremely rich word, meaning primarily satisfaction and joy. The Bible does not show contentment just as a virtue, but rather as a commandment. In every single chapter of this letter, Paul commands to, hit to this beloved church to rejoice in the Lord. Our generation 
is one of the most unfortunate societies in history of the human race. We as Christians are called to the life of joy and to declare to the insatiable world that we have enough. And Paul experienced this. He was a satisfied, a happy man. When we read the text, we immediately realize that Paul knew what it was to be a content man. But if we take a look closely, we will find the path of the Christian contentment, not just for Paul, but also our own. And the word in the original for contentment is the Greek word autarkis. Indicates certain independence of need for help. This word has been used in several places outside scripture to refer to people who support themselves without any help. When Paul said that he learned to be content, he affirmed that he learned to be sufficient in himself. Not because of himself, but because his identification with Christ. He achieved spiritual contentment. And contentment was also a virtue in a stoic thinking Greek culture. They believed that contentment was found when you reached the point of total independence of all things. So, if an accident occurred, you would say, I don't care. For the stoic then, contentment was the liberation from emotions and feelings. However, the meaning that Paul uses is totally different. He does not talk about indifference to everything and to everyone. Notes again, observe verse 12. In the middle of the verse, he declares, I learned the secret. This is a fascinating verb, church. Learning the mystery was a quest in pagan cults. So Paul takes the word and says, I have discovered the mystery of contentment, the secret of living the life of contentment. And observing this Bible passage, we can affirm that contentment starts with unshakable confidence in God's providence. The Christians discover the path of contentment with unshakable confidence in God's providence. Observe again, verse 10, when he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Just put in context, Ten years had passed since Paul was in Philippi and preached the gospel there for the first time and was thrown into prison. Ten years after the earthquake sent by God released all the prisoners and ten years since the Philippian jailer was converted to Christ with all his house. Ten years ago he moved from Philip to Thessalonica, and the church in Philip gave him financial support, not just one time, but two times. So it had been ten years since the last expression of love from that church was manifested for him. He was the founder of the church, 
But for 10 years, there was no support. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't hurt. Paul understands that this lack of help was not a lack of interest from the Philippians. For him himself declares that they had not had the opportunity. And the word in original is kairos, which means time. You didn't have time, an opportunity, but not the chronological time. We don't know the details if the Philippians didn't find Paul, if they didn't have, they didn't know about his real needs, but for some reason, they didn't send anything for 10 long years. But after that, Epaphroditus, a deacon, brings gifts from the Philippians, and Paul rejoices exceedingly in the Lord, knowing that all things flourish at the appointed time. In verse 10, Paul rejoices because after a long wait, they had renewed the care for him, their care for him. And this beautiful word, renew, means blossom again. It had always been there, but never had the opportunity to flower because flowering depends on the season and they had not yet had the season set. The apostle knows that the Philippians were interested in helping him, but the time had not come for them to help. And the central truth church he shows in this verse is that he can rejoice in God. In, in his eternal zeal and care, knowing that even when the support of the most beloved fails, God's providence is there taking care of everything. When we talk about providence, we know that it means much more than God providing all things, but that he harmonizes all things according to his purpose. You know, there are two ways that God can act in the world. The first is through a miracle, and the other through providence. The miracle is an intervention of God in the natural course of the world. He just come and, through a miracle, open the Red Sea. But the other way is through His providence, where God takes all the elements of the natural course and harmonizes them to fulfill his purpose. We found that providence is a miracle greater than a miracle. As God uses 50 billion circumstances or possibilities and harmonizes them to fulfill his purpose. Paul wasn't frustrated because he knew they didn't have the opportunity and that meant God hadn't made it happen. If he hadn't, it certainly wouldn't. This isn't fatalism, church. This is providence. The Bible is full of stories that are great examples of God's providence. Like the story of Joseph or Esther. Last year, my family had a strong experience with God's providence. And many of you know, when we traveled from Brazil to Colombia, 
as the U.S. consulates were closed in Brazil. And in our visa interview, the consular officer forgot to check the fingerprints of my older daughter, Pamela. And a 10-day trip became a 64-day trial in a hotel room with three kids in the same room. One important detail, when we first left the interview, the consular said, you will be ready to travel to U.S. in 10 days. Instead of celebrating on the way back to the hotel, Pamela said, 10 days here? It was too good to be true. I immediately corrected her. But after 10 days, we discovered that we need to stay 50 days more. And the other kids started saying to Pamela, It's your fault. You murmured against God. Now all of us will pay staying here. It was a great experience teach them and also to us as parents that God's sovereignty was over all that mess that was happening to us. Beloved church, we need to know that this is where contentment begins. We will never have a happy heart until we believe that God's sovereignty is controlling all things for our good and His glory. He is the King of the earth. When we feel that things are out of control and we believe that we need to take back the control and make them happen, we will run into problems and we will become frustrated in the process. However, if we work as hard as we can, and trust that the results are on the Lord's hands, we will rest and start the process of the biblical contentment. When we find a discontent Christian, we need to talk to them about the sovereignty of God, as they may not truly understand. Yes, there are evil people. Yes, the devil is Outside there, destroying people, but our God, ruler over the world. Secondly, we taste contentment when we are satisfied with only what is necessary. Observe verse 11, when Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being it, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be Content. That kind of quick warning after verse 10. When he says, I'm not saying this because I'm need. He saying, I'm not content because I was in need. And finally, you remembered me. The founder of the church. No. Not at all. He learned to live content in any and all circumstances. What does that tell us? He tells us he was satisfied with little. He had just enough to get by. His needs were deep and great, but he does not complain. He was so at peace with God's providence, providence that he was content. 
He was so satisfied with this truth that even when he was imprisoned in Rome, guarded by soldiers, he had only the bare minimum to eat. None of these changed his contentment. These troops directly confront the culture we live in, which why Dr. MacArthur says, the more a man has, the more dissatisfied he lives. The attitudes of people today show that their needs will never be satisfied. They are compelled to pursue their desires and this is a passion that consumes them and thus they are never satisfied. The postmodern society conception of life is that it consists of pursuit of personal achievement and dreams. And we ask the question, where does this idea come from? It comes from humanism. Because such men live as if God did not exist. And so life consists in satisfying oneself and not God. And by taking this path of self-satisfaction, humanity is led on an impossible path. And they become every day more unhappy. Where do you discover your needs? In culture? Media? Netflix, Hollywood, or in the Holy Word of God. Paul said to Timothy, Indeed, godliness with contentment is a great source of profit. First Timothy 6, 6. And in the verse 8, he says, Therefore, having food and clothing, let us be satisfied with it. As we look at Paul, we find that either we live in a world that has totally lost the concept of real satisfaction, or Paul was an alien. Paul was satisfied with little, clothing, food, and a place to sleep. The main task of television and social media is to tell you that you are not happy if you do not have the fanciest house, the fanciest car, if you do not have the last iPhone, if you have a nice house here in Huntington Valley, you will just be happy if you buy a house in the lakes or, or on the beach. And this is not truth. The Bible shows that we can find contentment no matter where we are and what condition we are in. Do we really need what we are pursuing to finally be a content person? It's not sinful. We have personal achievement. But it is when we put our contentment in this achievement. Finally, Contentment is presented to the world when we are sustained by the power of God. If you observe verse 12, Paul is showing the different circumstances he faced during his ministry. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry. Abundance and needs. So he had all kinds of personal experience. But what was the secret? Verse 13. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying that he was supported by Christ who strengthened him. We saw that he learned this no matter how difficult was his material needs. Yet there was a spiritual understand. He was not self-sufficient. He was sufficient in Christ. That's because Paul and us were, are connected to his life and connected to his power. And the word that he uses in Greek is shuros. It means to be strong. So he declares that he could be strong under any circumstance. For Christ is injecting his power into him. He was not declaring that he would live forever without food. No. But he was saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Working within him. He could be glad. Even in times of need. He was tasting what the prophet Isaiah or the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He would not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. Even youths go tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Contentment can be found in hard Hard and troubled times of our lives. This is why William Barclay well states that grief is our greatest test of contentment. When our world is crumbling, trust in God's sovereignty, fathers, and a once peaceful frame of mind gives away to unrest. When wellness comes, when exams confirm that spot is cancer, when we lose our job, when our child is taken away, when our good name is maligned for no reason, how do we respond? When our faith is challenged, we have the opportunity to discover how far our contentment goes. It was in this environment of trouble, suffering, and bad circumstances. That the complaint prophet in chapter 1, Habakkuk, tasted the supernatural joy. And he ends his book saying, Through the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields wield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there no and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. 
He makes my tread on my high place. To the choir master with stringed instruments. The Lord is saying to us, we cannot win the troubled times of life by ourselves. There are problems in our lives that if we could solve, we wouldn't be dependent on him. Thus, we discover in this biblical reality that contentment is fruit of deep anguish. The power of God is manifest in us in such difficult moments. If we didn't go through such moments, maybe we wouldn't taste his power in such high level. Dear church, I'm sure there are some circumstances that we would love to not face. But if you are going through hard times, remember, there is a special experience the Lord can provide to you through his Holy Spirit. But this is not a result or the result of one single prayer from our pastor. This can help, but this is a result of a life of intimacy with God through our prayer life. It's a result of our devotional life. Christians who live a lax life in the presence of God today will certainly have serious problem when their strengths run out and will not enjoy contentment. Troubles time come for trouble times come for everyone, and we need to be strong in the Lord to taste his contentment. At the beginning of this sermon, I shared the beauty of the Taj Mahal. One place that the Lord took me. But one of the great joys we had as church in Japan during the seven years that I served there was preparing short-term mission trips for our church members. And in 2012, I went with a group of 12 people to Rwanda. We helped to establish a school and a church for refugees. After 10 days of intense work, we gathered in a small church made of wood and clay to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And for most of them was the first time. Please, brother. This was the sanctuary that they built with small gifts. No, the first one, you can return. Uh, the second one. Yeah. No. The other one. Yep. And they built this church with small gifts that we sent. And as we were in this day uh, together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, when I encountered the communion table, I realized that I had a problem. Instead of bread and wine, there was cookies and coke on the table. And as a Presbyterian, I start in a deep anguish. And I went to the worker and asked to him, Brother, where are the breads? Where is the wine or the grape juice? He said, Pastor, we don't have bread here. Neither wine, neither grape juice. 
And I was in a deep anguish. Should I lead the supper with coke and cooks? And I just said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, John Calvin. But I will move forward. And for God's glory. While we were serving the supper, most of those people, the next picture, please. And mainly the ladies. No, no. The next, we're crying. And they stayed on their knees for 15 minutes, crying out of joy for the Lord's sacrifice. And saying, Lord, we rejoice in you to be part of your body and to join the supper. One of the members of my church in Japan came to me with tears on his eyes, saying, Pastor, if it is a special joy for us in heaven, must be something like this. What a supernatural joy. In a poor village in Rwanda, in a tiny sanctuary made of clay and wood, I saw the greatest manifestation of supernatural joy in my entire life. This means no matter what you are facing, our God has supernatural joy to our hearts. Let's rejoice in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we worship you for your love, kindness, and mercy upon us. And we recognize, Lord, even though we live in the wealthiest country of the world, we are not as joyful as we should be. Many times we put our contentment in personal achievements, in our health, in our wealth, in the good condition of our family. And we forget that you have supernatural joy to our hearts. Joy is fruit of your Holy Spirit. So we ask you, Lord, forgive us and give your church the grace to move forward. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, rejoice in your presence. Even in bad moments and circumstances. To show to this crazy and materialistic world that we have a joy that nothing in this world can grant to them. Or us. Heavenly Father, bless your church. And help us to take the path of biblical contentment. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.